So my name is Michael Davis. For those of you who don't know me, I am not normally the pastor here, but I'm filling in for this week. Um, so it's great privilege um, and honor to, to be here in front of you guys and sharing the word because this is the word of God. This is what God has given for us for instruction to tell about who he is. And so it's my privilege to, to share this with you today. So let us begin in prayer because I definitely need it. I need to, to be able to, to speak clearly, speak truthfully, but we also need to, to have hearts ready and receptive to hear the gospel. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for today. Uh, we thank you for the, the new mercies that you have for us each and every day. Um, God, we, we come, and, and as we were just singing songs of praise, um, I pray that our hearts can continue to, to praise you um, in, in what we say and what we do um, throughout today, throughout the week, uh, that we can live a life that is honoring and glorifying to you. God, I pray just for just a special grace um, today that you can allow me to, to speak truthfully, uh, to speak in a way that magnifies Christ. Um, and I pray all of us, myself included, that we can hear this message, that it can convict where it needs to convict, it can encourage, it can strengthen, um, and it can bring about love, grace, and mercy in our hearts today. So pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me open up here. So, the question I kind of have for us today, big question is, what is a human? What, what is a person? Um, who, who are we? That's, that's a huge question, but it's a very essential question in life. We need to know who we are so that we can know what to do. And so, who are we? If, if you ask maybe, um, a biologist, they give you maybe a scientific answer. We're a living organism of, of cells and systems that come together in a body so that we can function and live. If you ask maybe an anthropologist or sociologist, they might say that we are an organism that, that lives in a group of people in, that has connections and dwells in community for the, the greater good of us, that we can come together with, with resources and knowledge that we can be the best society that we can be. Or if you maybe even ask a baby, you can get a baby's perspective. A baby will look at the world and see humans as somebody who's older than them, that speaks a weird language that they don't understand, but provides food for them, provides everything that they need, right? And so you have many different perspectives just in our perspective, but also you have that through religions, right? Every, every religion answers this question, what, what is a human, who are we, right? And so certain religions talk about us as being essentially good. We, we need to just work our way up to do good things in order to gain salvation, right? But in all of these things, there, there seems to be something that's missing, something that we need to hear, right? And if, if God is the creator of all things, if he is the one who's created each and every one of us, he's created the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea, man and woman, it's essential that we first know what, what God says about us, that 
the creator of, of us gets to tell, has the authority to tell who we are and what we are to do. And so, as I, as I mentioned before, scripture is, is God's word. It's, it's his word revealed to us so that we can know, first and foremost, who God is, but also who we are, right? And a definition or an idea of, of who we are as a people would not be complete without looking at scripture. And so we understand God created everything. He was good, perfect in, in Genesis 1 and 2. But then from Genesis 3 all the way onward to Revelation 20, the story of the Bible is about a people who have rebelled against God, a people who have sinned against their creator. And they're in a, that, that's the problem. They're in a predicament. And so what is it that we are to do? Who are we? Um, and what, what does God say of us? And so if you wouldn't mind, we will be in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. If you, if you have a Bible in front of you, uh, you can open up there. The reason I, I, I chose this uh, passage, as Matt asked me to, is just because it's, it's a very clear presentation of, of the gospel. It's very clear who we are as, as humans, what God has done for us. And this is, this is essential. We, we need to, to understand this well, even though it can be, can be stark, it can be maybe sometimes difficult to swallow. It is, it is important for us to, to see and hear what God says. So let us read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved, with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so there, there seems to be a clear kind of delineation in this, in this passage that we just looked at of the, verse, the first three verses kind of talk about who we are before Christ, without Christ, and kind of the verses four through 10 kind of look at what, what God has done for us in the person of Christ. So let's, let's first look at the, the first part. What, 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 what our sin brings, brings about, who we are before Christ. And so what our sin, sin brings about is, number one, brings about our condition of death, right? It says, first couple words here, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins, right? This is to all of us. We have all been dead in our trespasses and sins, right? As even we look back again to, to Genesis chapter 2, God gives a command to Adam and to Eve and says, you must not eat of this tree, 
eat of this tree, for if you eat of this tree, you will surely die, right? So obviously that wasn't a, a physical death. Adam and Eve didn't drop dead right there in that moment, but it was a death, and that death is spiritual, right? It was, they were living in the garden, they were walking with God, they were talking with God, they had great, great fellowship with him, but because of their sin, that had broken that apart, that had severed that relationship that they had with God, right? So they were removed, they were kicked out of the garden, separate from God. And so this is, this is a huge thing, like, I know sometimes, even myself, um, it's easy to think of sin as, oh, okay, that's, it's just not, it's not that bad. Maybe it's just one little white lie. Maybe it's a little sin here or there. But sin is huge, right? Sin impacts each and every one of us. And it, it has huge consequences towards us. It, it severs a relationship with God that because of our sin, we have been dead to a relationship with him. We have been dead to, to fellowship and communion with him, right? And so this is, this is not just some small idea, but the sin Adam, Adam committed is the same sins we commit of rebellion, rejection to God. So this is, this is a big ordeal. This is something with, with huge ramifications on our lives, right? But it's not just that. Um, Ephesians 2 continues to go on and says, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so it kind of talks about us following two things, right? It says the world and the prince and power of the air. And so to first, we're going we're gonna to start with the latter. Who is the prince and power of the air? What, what does that mean? Who is this person if we're being following along, if we're being carried along by this person? Who is it? So um, it's important to understand as, as we read throughout scripture, there's different, different names, especially for God, but there's different names also for, for Satan, the devil, the adversary. Uh, here, Paul is talking about that same person, Satan. We have been carried along by, by Satan and who he is. Another verse that, that's very, very helpful for us is 2 Corinthians 4, 4. It says, the God of this age, again, Satan himself, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glory of Christ Jesus, right? And so Satan himself is working against us. It's, it's the idea of you go out fishing, and I'm, I'm no great fisherman, but I like to fish occasionally. And so you have your reel, you cast it out with the lure on it, and you get a fish, and how do you catch a fish? It's you hook it right in the mouth, right? You, you hook the fish, and you can pretty much do whatever you want with the fish because you've, you've got him hooked, and he's just following wherever that lure goes. So in the same way, Satan has us hooked. We have, have been hooked by, by him. He has blinded our minds so that we cannot see the greatness and glory of who Christ is. But also, it talks about following the world, right? I'm sure probably all of you have heard the saying, this world is going to hell in a handbasket, right? It's, it, it has some truth to it, right? Because again, if, if the world 
is ruled over by, by Satan, the, the prince and power of the air. Another way to translate is the, the ruler of the air, that the, Satan does have some sway and, and some power, some rule, authority over this world. That the world, in a sense, is going to hell in a handbasket, right? But what exactly is the world, right? Because if, if Satan is in charge of it, the, the world obviously can mean the whole world itself, Earth, right? But again, it's, it's not, it's not the, the physical idea of what the world is. But when we, when we look at Scripture, it can, it can highlight, it can help us emphasize what, what this means so we can see it. And then 1 John chapter 2 looks at what is the world. The world is the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, right? So these are, these are the sins that have corrupt, been corrupted by sin into the world. So as we're, we're going about living our life, the world is not, is not neutral. It's not just, oh, okay, we just live in the world and the world doesn't pull us either way. It's kind of just neutral. We live our life. But as we see throughout scripture, it's a genuinely negative connotation about, about the world, that the world is pulling us away from, from God. It's pulling us away from the life that we are to live, right? And so we have here the condition of, that, that our sin brings about is our death. Sin also brings about the course of our life in which we're following the prince and power of the air and the world. But that's not all. If, if you might think, well, these might just be external influences upon us, right? It's, well, if, if it's Satan just pulling me along like a fish and the, the course of this world is negative, but I'm just being pushed along this way. As, as we continue reading, it's not just an external factor upon us as, as if it's, well, if I just knew more, if I just knew the Satan's schemes, I could avoid these things. I could be smart enough to avoid these things that are happening. But as we continue reading, it's not just external influences, but our own internal passions and desires, right? Because it says in in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, right? And so it's, it's not only just external things. These are our own desires. Like we want to fulfill our own fleshly desires, right? It's, it's what, what they call a, a sin nature, that each and every one of us have been born with a sin nature. It's, it's a propensity. It's a, a bent towards sin. Right? It's not, again, not that we're maybe neutral in this as, as human beings, but there's a, a bend in us to fulfill our fleshly desires, right? And our fleshly desires are, are those which are opposed to God, right? It's Galatians 5, it's uh, Colossians 3, which talks about our fleshly desires. It's sexual immorality, it's pride, it's lust, it's greed, it's all these things that are inside of us in which it says our body and our mind are craving to fulfill, right? We, we want this so desperately to fulfill these desires in us which are opposed to what God wants, right? And so it might be helpful to, to give an analogy with this. So when I grew up, we, me and my family, we, we didn't have a dog, we didn't have a cat because my mom was allergic. So we got the next best thing, it's a rabbit. So we got 
a nice little bunny rabbit in which he lived out in the garage and we would bring him inside and he would have fun, jump around all the furniture, leave little poop balls everywhere and stuff, but it was a, a great little, little pet to have. But what would, you, what would you feed a rabbit, right? If, if you wanted to, you could go to the best steakhouse. You could go get the, the, I think the best cut of beef now is like the Wagyu beef and stuff like that. It costs a lot of money. So you could have the, the best steak, have the perfect medium rare, um, cook to it, you can have butter, salt, you can have all the, all the fixings that you want for this, right? You can have a baked potato, you can have anything else you want on this plate. And you can set that on one side, and then on the other side, you could put one carrot. One old carrot, it could be turning black, wouldn't matter, and if you had a bunny rabbit right here, 100 times out of 100, he would go right for the carrot. Why is that? It's not like he can see the value of a steak, see how good it is, as we all would. Um, he would go to the carrot because it's in his nature to go what, after what he desires, right? He's going to, every time, go for the carrot. And so in the same way, that's kind of how our sin nature works. It is always going to go to what we desire most. And as we see here, we, we are dead. We are following Satan. We are following the world which have been corrupted by sin, and we are following our own desires, which have been corrupted by sin, right? And so it's this pathway in which we want nothing to do with God. We are only looking to fulfill our own desires. And so if, if that wasn't bad enough, there's one last thing that Paul mentions in this, in this section here about who we are and what our sin brings about, and that is the final thing in verse 3. We are children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So again, this is a very fearful, a very terrible position to be in, to be called children of wrath, of, from the God who is the most powerful being, who is the creator of, of everything. We are his enemies. We are children of wrath because we are following things that are opposed to God. And so this is a, a fearful and this is a very dreadful position to be in, right? We're dead. We're following the prince and power of the air, the world. We're, we're following our own flesh and desires, and we're children of wrath, right? And so the, the stark and very, very sobering fact is that all of us fall into this category. It doesn't, doesn't just mean those who have, have done just really bad and terrible sins doesn't mean those who have murdered, those who have committed grand theft auto or, or larceny or anything like that. Each and every one of us have fallen into that, right? Because there's a couple things in which Paul says in here, which, which applies to all of us. It says, um, among whom we all once lived in verse three. So it's, it's universal. It's for each and every one of us we fall into this category. Um, in verse, at the end of verse 3, it says, like the rest of mankind, right? And so each and every one of us has fallen into this category. And maybe today, so, some of us might be in this category. And this is, again, a sobering reality. Um, but this is what God tells of us. 
what God, what God says. Um, and I don't, I don't say this lightly. I don't say this and just, oh, this is, okay, this is what the Bible says because these are our neighbors. These can be family members. These can be coworkers that, that fall into, into this category. But I would be remiss to, to end there because that's, that's not the whole passage. That's not the whole story, right? In verse 4, God begins with probably some of the best words, the best two words I could think in Scripture, right? It says, but God. So this, verses 1 through 3, is a reality. But God. God, God stepped in and did something, right? Now, I need you guys to, to hear me carefully because I don't want this going back to Matt saying I said something wrong. But I love the big buts of the Bible, right? Because if, if verses 1 through 3 are correct, we're hopeless, right? That there's, it's a lost cause. But God intervened in this life and showed up for us, right? And so in, in this passage and also other passages throughout Scripture, it talks about our reality. I think of Romans 5, uh, 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right here we have another but God. These are so important, so great words for us that, that we can hear today um, because if this reality is true, which, which it is, God, God says it is, again, we're, we're hopeless. We're, we're in a situation in which the five things I just listed off is, is true. But as Paul is talking about here, it doesn't have to be true of us. Like our identity can change. We can be brought from children of wrath children of God. And so, as, we, as we, we see in these next couple verses, verses 4 through 10, it looks at what, what God has done for us. And so, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, right? As I was reading over Ephesians this week, um, I think there was, you guys can look this up yourself, but I think there was about 10 times Paul uses adjectives of rich in mercy or great love immeasurably or the surpassing knowledge, the manifold wisdom that Paul can't even really describe how great and how deep the wellspring of God's love is for us. And so he's got to say it's, it's great, it's rich. Um, and so this is what Paul first says about who God is, right? He's rich in mercy. He's great in love. So as I was thinking about this, I'm like, okay, like, who are the people who are rich and great? Um, so I went, went on to Forbes, and I saw that Elon Musk is the richest man in the world right now, right? I think I checked Wednesday, um, and he had 200 and some billion dollars, more than we could ever imagine. And I checked the next day, and he was down to 199 billion. And I'm just like, to lose a billion dollars in a day, like, that, that's big. But for him, that was like, okay, I lost a billion, I'll make it back. Um, but if he was compared to a country and all of his wealth, he would be ranked 54th according to the GDP of all of, all of the countries. He has that much wealth that he would be ranked 54th in the world according to GDP on the scale of things. One person, crazy. So then I was also looking at 
and other stories. Um, obviously, Bill Gates, we all, we all know him. And an article I found, again, written by Forbes. Um, it was done in 2013, so it was a couple years ago, but he's only had more money, so this will even be more crazy. But the article in Forbes said that Bill Gates was 57 at the time. If he were to live 33 more years, he would have to spend $6 million a day for 33 years for him to finally run out of money. I'm just like, six, like that's buying a new house, a mansion, a car, a boat, and buying one for both of your neighbors and family, and doing that every day for 33 years, and he finally runs out of money. But the great thing about this is God's not just rich monetarily. I mean, God made this whole world. He, he owns everything in it. But more so, God is rich in mercy. God is great in love, right? These are things that we desperately need, right? Again, going back to verses 1 through 3, if this reality is true, we, we need mercy. We need love from God to save us. And so God is abounding in this mercy. He is abounding in this great love, right? And so that's kind of who God is, but as we continue reading, we get to see what God has done for us, right? And so it says, uh, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, right? And so we were, we were dead, made alive, right? Genesis 2 kind of looks at this as, as God's creating everything. He, he forms Adam, and Adam is kind of just laying there, lifeless. Can't, can't do anything himself. He can't choose to, to live himself. But Adam's laying there. And in Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam came alive, right? And so in that same idea, God is taking what's dead breathes new life into it, allowing us to, to have a new heart, right? If, if our old heart was, was sinful and craves the desires of the flesh, he gives us a new heart. Not just a new heart, he gives us um, a new nature, a new identity, that we are no longer children of wrath, but we're children of God, right? God flips the script on this and changes things. He makes us alive. It's it's the idea um, when we read in the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 3, kind of looking at the new birth, right? Um, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, and he's, he's talking about, you must be born again. It's obviously, again, not talking literally being born again. It's a figurative idea of having a new nature, a new life given to us from God. It's, it's what the uh, theologians would call regeneration. It's it's having that new life being born from death to life. But not only that, as we continue to read, God continues to lavish his mercy and his grace and love towards us. It says, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. Right? And so it's not just that we're alive, but it's a raising up of us as, as God raised Christ from the dead. Right? Like Christ died in order to to pay for the sins of his people christ died three days later he rose again right and and the power of sin the power of of satan was always you know what everybody's sinned 
You've all fallen into this. And so because of sin, you are going to die. You are going to be separated from God, right? But Jesus gets raised up. He overcomes the biggest weapon Satan has to throw at us. He overcomes sin, saying, no, 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 sin no longer has effect on these people. They have been raised up. They are no longer slaves to death, no longer slaves to sin. If that weren't enough, he goes on to continue to say, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, right? And so he seats us with him. It's not, not just that we're alive, not just that we're raised up, but he seats us with him in the heavenly places. It says uh, in Ephesians 1, kind of to start this off, Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So he seats us in the heavenly places so he can bless us with every spiritual blessing that he was talking about of, as you, as you continue to read Ephesians 1, it's the, the choosing of his people. It's the adoption of his people. It's the redemption, the reconciliation, the forgiveness of sins. It's the down payment of the Holy Spirit. These these things are ours. They are a present reality to us. And so they're all given to us in Christ Jesus, right? And so we're, we're seated with him. So no suffering is too great for us, right? No worry about finances is, is too great for, for, for him. No, no worrying about health or sickness is too great because we have been seated with him. That is our new reality, that we have been seated with him in the heavenly places. So now as, as, as we get here, the question that I had, and maybe some of you have, is, okay, so if this is true, why? Like, why, why would God choose to do this? Like, he doesn't gain anything from it, right? It's not like we're, we're uh, twisting God's arm. It's not like we're giving him anything that he doesn't have. Um, so why? So I think verse 7 kind of, kind of tells us that. It's the, the so that. It's the, the purpose clause uh, behind it. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Right? And so it's to show in Christ Jesus what he's done. Right? It's all of these things are given to us because of our position in Christ Jesus. Again, as, as I was reading over Ephesians, you can't help but see the position that we are in Christ is super important, right? I, I didn't keep track of how many times, but if, if you read over Ephesians, you get to see in Christ, in the beloved, in Jesus, all throughout Ephesians, because it's in our position in Christ that we can be afforded these things, right? It's, it's not... It's not um, due to anything that we have, but it's in Christ Jesus in which we can have these realities, right? And so again, it's, it's the immeasurable riches of his grace towards us. And so the great thing about this is that you can never bankrupt Jesus. You can never say, okay, my, my life was just too bad. I did too many bad things. Oh, and then Jesus like, sorry, I don't have enough mercy for you. I ran out like... That's never going to happen. Jesus always has a measurable amount of riches towards us in grace and mercy. 
that's, that's such a great, a great thing for us, right? And it's all done through grace. This, this whole passage is laden with, with grace, laden with things that we can't do ourselves. It's, it's God acting upon these things, God acting for our behalf on these things, right? And grace is a, an interesting thing, right? It's, it's, it's the idea of a free gift, right? But I think sometimes, even for, for myself, it's, it's hard to accept a free gift, right? I went and I was helping out yesterday uh, for a ministry opportunity in which we helped out at Windermere School. We, we had a team doing kind of the construction stuff at the school, doing some landscaping around there. And I was with a neighborhood team in which we went throughout the neighborhood talking, hey, we would, we would love to, to serve you completely free. Um, we would love to do some landscaping of mowing your lawn, trimming, trimming some bushes, doing some weeding, all that kind of stuff. And so we would knock on houses, see who would do it. And we had a couple people on our street uh, say, oh, okay, yeah, I, I guess you can. And it seemed they would come out and help us with it, which, which is fantastic and great. But it seemed as though people have a hard time accepting just a free gift. Hey, we want to bless you. It's completely free. Don't have to sign up for anything. You don't, don't have to do anything. We just want to well, bless you. And you could see it kind of in their eyes being like, oh, man, like, should I just allow them to do that? I don't want just to be taken advantage of or allow that to happen. But the great thing about grace is, it's, is that it's not wrong to accept it. It's not wrong to be like, I need, I need grace. I need help. Because, again, if this is true, what uh, Ephesians 1 through 3 looks at, then we need it. We, we need grace. We can't do it ourselves. If, if we are dead in our trespasses and sins, there's nothing we can do. So we, we need grace. So it's not wrong to accept and be like, God, thank you so much for this grace in Christ. I need this. If it wasn't for Christ and his sacrifice for us, if it wasn't for his death and resurrection, I'd be lost. I, I, would, I would be in a position that's a terrible and dreadful position. And so that's, that is the grace that we have. And so to, to kind of conclude, the last thing I want us to, to think about is how are we to live in light of this, right? If, if we read this and understand this, how are we to live in light of this? The, the Bible always wants us to, to live in light of, of what we know and what we understand. And so I would say, first, we can bask in the riches of Christ, right? And so maybe today you're, you're down in the dumps and you're saying, man, I've, I've messed up, I've, I've sinned, I have rejected God, um, and I need a Savior. That's, that's a, a great place to be in, to come to, to Christ and say, I am in need of your grace. What you've done for me, I, I need that. Without you, I'm lost. Without you, I have a horrifying identity. So I need, I need this. Maybe you are, you are a Christian and you still have, man, I've, I'm still not doing great. I've, I've messed up. I've, I've done some things that I've, I probably shouldn't have. His grace is immeasurably more than you could ever think you will need. Right? If, if you're, you're, you're sinning and, and you're walking away from God, his, his mercy is more 
that Jesus has enough mercy to love you and accept you to bring you back, right? And so maybe you are doing well, but you're just, you just need, need grace, right? You're, you're um, like, man, I just don't know how I'm going to get through this week with everything I got going on. I don't know how I'm going to uh, handle my, my budget. I don't know how I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. I especially felt this this week as I was preparing for this. I'm just like, God, I, I need your grace. <laughs> I need your help in, in doing this. I need, I need strength. I need encouragement. I need love. The good news is Christ has a measurable amount of, of riches to give you. So number two, um, number two, how we can live in light of this is to share this truth with others, right? Um, we need to, to share the gospel with others that as I, as I mentioned earlier, this, this is a reality for, for some people. Um, it could be our neighbors, could be family members, could be coworkers. But this is, this is a reality. This is what God says about us. So it's true. It's, it's a reality. So we need to share this with others. And finally, thirdly, um, how are we to live in light of this? I think we can kind of see it in the, the final verse that, that Paul mentions in Ephesians verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We need, a, a theologian once said, we are trophies of grace. Like as, as anybody, especially kids have, have their trophies and they're like, oh wow, look, I got this for baseball, I got this for soccer, I got this for straight A's or whatever. They, they take pride in those. We are Christ's trophies of grace in which it's, wow, that this is what he has done. And so we need to live as we are trophies of grace. We need to um, be givers of grace, right? And so maybe we can demonstrate that by meeting needs of our neighbors. Maybe it's mowing lawns for an elderly neighbor who might not be able to. Maybe it's trimming trees or weeding. Um, could be maybe as we get, get to winter, hopefully not anytime soon, but... As we get to winter, maybe it's shoveling snow. Maybe it's just being givers of grace because we have been given so much. We can go and be givers of grace in that. Maybe we can be models of mercy. Maybe there's somebody in our life who that's just been, been difficult maybe to love. Uh, maybe it's a coworker who maybe said some things about you and got you upset and so you know, maybe want to talk with them, right? Understandable. But what does, what does God show us here? He says... He's rich in mercy, so we, we too should walk in a way where we're rich in mercy. And so maybe it's going out and buying a cup of coffee for the coworker who maybe gets on our nerves and says, hey, like, even though that happened, I still want to love you through it. I still want to demonstrate what this mercy looks like. And maybe it's, it's lavishing, being lavishing lovers. Out, it says in Romans, outdo one another in showing love. Right? As, as, again, we see here the, the best picture of love we could ever imagine. Somebody who intervenes in the midst of our dead situation and brings us to life. Right? And so we can live as trophies of grace. And so this, this is a great, a great message for us to hear today because we need to know the reality of life. We need to know who we are as humans and, and what God has done for us because the two great words, but God, has showed up and done such a great work in us that we are to do 
that for him. He never gives us something and says, okay, go out and do it. He always, he says, this is what I've done for you. Now, because you have been, you have seen and experienced who I am, I want you to go and share that with others. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Let us end in, in just prayer, um, asking God to, to work in and through us. So dear God, um, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you for the truth behind it. Um, God, I know sometimes it's, it is difficult um, to hear, but God, you, you don't say it to, to be mean. You don't say it um, for any other reason to, other than to show us the true reality of who we are and our need for a savior, that we are in a hopeless, desperate, needy situation, um, but God, but, but God showed up in the midst of our life, rich in mercy, great in love, made us alive, raised us up and seated us with him, all through grace. And so I pray each and every one of us uh, will walk in a way of understanding, a walk in a way of, of love and grace towards others, because we have been loved, we can love others well. So we pray all this in Jesus' name.